It's a Thursday PFTOT, and I am not flying solo today. Chris Sims is back. We had some fun during the program, and we're going to have some more fun here now because we don't have anybody telling us when to shut up. We can talk as long as we want to talk, and we can talk about things we talked about during the show. We can talk about things we didn't talk about during the show, and one thing we didn't talk about for the first time probably in a long time is Antonio Brown. So let's start there in part because, and it's not, it has nothing to do with the helmet, this is hard knocks. Viewership in Pittsburgh. HBO released the numbers yesterday, and I was stunned by the fact that in Pittsburgh, the ratings more than tripled the national average. Those Steelers fans love to see a train wreck involving a guy that they now hate, and they just can't get enough of the fact that Antonio Brown and the Raiders are having a hard time getting properly acquainted, given that Antonio Brown's got the frostbite on the feet and the helmet issue, and the Raiders are exasperated, and Mike Mayock called him out. And, uh, and, and to make it even better, Chris, we tweeted our story, a link to our story, with the information about the Pittsburgh ratings tripling the national average. Antonio Brown retweeted it with the message, my ex still thinks about me. I think he still thinks about his ex. His ex definitely still thinks about him. And it is funny to see that, that just because Antonio Brown has gone from Pittsburgh, he is far from from gotten there, and he is far from forgetting them. Yeah, well, he, he burned one of the greatest football cities and greatest football organizations we've ever seen here in America. And that fan base is awesome. They're arguably one of the best out there, too. And they, they, they want to tune in, one, like you said, because they, they don't like him right now uh, or hate him altogether. Two, they're going to get the first-time inside look about all the things they've heard about the last few years but have never really been able to see or figure out what the guy is really like behind the scenes. So I understand that. And, of course, maybe I hope the Pittsburgh fans have a little more sympathy for Mike Tomlin. That's what I want to argue there more than anything. I mean, Mike Tomlin isn't the GM. John Gruden is the GM and the head coach, and he brought Antonio Brown there. And – I don't remember any four-month period or five-month period while Antonio Brown was in Pittsburgh that had more drama and issues than we've seen so far with Antonio Brown. And uh, I'd like some of the Pittsburgh fans to, to recognize that and maybe apologize to Mike Tomlin that way. No, I won't. I won't because Mike Tomlin created Antonio Brown. He created AB. He allowed this guy who was a sixth-round pick out of Central Michigan to become the diva that he is. It's on the coach to keep the guy from turning into someone who comes and goes as he pleases, who pays attention to his phone during meetings, who has his own house that he rents during training camp when everyone else is living in a dorm at St. Vincent's College in Latrobe. That he rents off site. The coach allowed him to become a B. And now, look, should the Raiders have wanted him given all this stuff? Well, he's still a hell of a player. But Mike Tomlin is the one that enabled this. If he had nipped it in the bud in 2011, 2012, when Antonio Brown was blossoming into one of the best receivers in the NFL, all this stuff could have been avoided. Well, I, I, yes, to a degree, okay, I'll agree with some of that sentiment, right? But that's easier said than done. And especially, hey, when the rest of the organization backs a guy like Antonio Brown financially, I mean, we've heard guys like Ryan Clark, right, on ESPN. He was telling people back then, don't pay him. He's going to act a fool once he gets paid. He's going to have the power and leverage in his corner, and he's going to use it against everybody. And that's what happened, too. So I can't put 
all of that on Mike Tomlin. I understand what you're saying. It's definitely valid, but I just can't put it all on him. Um, but but either way, I understand the Pittsburgh Steelers fans tuning in to watch it. I mean, I'm tuned in to watch it. it it's been pretty damn good so far. All of these coaches get seduced by the talent. That's the bottom they line. Do. Yes, and if they the do. talent comes with baggage, if there's enough talent, you'll deal with the other stuff. Just like your dad's New York Giants did and Bill Parcells did and Bill Belichick did sure. with Lawrence Taylor. That's right. Bill Belichick makes exceptions for no one. But if you're Lawrence Taylor, he'll make an exception for you because <laughs> you get seduced by what the guy can do when it's time to get on the football field. And by all appearances, whatever he's wearing on his head, whatever's going on with his feet, Antonio Brown can still get it done. That's now, right. in Pittsburgh, with Antonio Brown gone, and Chris, yesterday we did a draft of the Achilles heels that can affect the various teams, and and I said the number two receiver in Pittsburgh could be an Achilles heel because, number one, we don't know who the hell it's going to be, and number two, there may be more pressure on that guy than there was on Juju Smith-Schuster last year because we don't know whether or not Juju Smith-Schuster can blossom into the number one receiver that Antonio Brown was, and Smith-Schuster says he is working on catching balls down the field, the free balls they send down the field, I got to make those plays. That's what I focused on a lot, catching the ball over the shoulder and being able to be a threat on the outside. Well, if that's something you're working on, that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence you're going to be able to do it. You're working on it. That's good, but you shouldn't have to work on it. It already should be part of your game. And to just take Juju Smith-Schuster and plug him from number two to number one and put two guys on him all the time and expect him to do the things that Antonio Brown did, I don't know that that's as easy as we think it's going to be. No disrespect to Juju's skills. And we've seen number twos try to become number ones in the past, Alvin Harper. It doesn't always work. And, and – you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're just assuming you slide him into the top spot and everything's going to be fine. These quotes from Juju Smith-Schuster at least tell us, Chris, we need to watch. We need to wait. Well, it, it is the area of his game that I would go is probably the least impressive, right? He's big. He's strong. He can break tackles. You see a lot of great catches over the middle. But the one thing I don't think he does to defenses necessarily is scare them with a the deep threat, especially when he's on the outside. He doesn't have that type of speed. So I think he's trying to say, yeah, he's working on that. He realizes he's going to be more of that Oh, it's man-to-man. -man. Big Ben's just going to throw it up to me now instead of Antonio Brown. And he wants to get better at, you know, those balls that, yes, I am I am tightly covered. But, it, you know, Big Ben puts a ball out here and I adjust the proper way or puts it behind my back and I can go get it that way. So I, I understand that aspect. He's just trying to let you know he's working on that as some area that he thinks he needed to be better. But I think that is the biggest question, Mike, about Juju Smith-Schuster is – can he scare people with the nine route, the go route? Can he back them off consistently enough to where then it opens up everything else underneath because guys are fearful he'll, he'll catch a bomb over their head from Big Ben? And, and I just want, and again, Juju Smith-Schuster is a young guy, and I love him. He's a great player. I love his passion for the game. I don't know that I would be sharing publicly anything that would suggest I don't have utmost confidence in my ability to do it, that I'm working on. I, I just don't know that I want the world to know that right now. I don't know. How do you feel about that aspect? Yeah, I, I, I understand you, what you're saying. I think you're right. I probably would not have said that either. That would probably be one I would just have, you know, kept under wraps, not even brought attention to it or anything like that. Because, too, hey, you can't just guarantee that every team's amazing at scouting and they're going to put everything together, right? This might open some eyes up to where some teams go, you know, 
wait, the, the, that is right. I mean, now that I look at them, he doesn't win a lot on the outside and just blow by people. And it might change the Chris, approach of a coaching staff or corners. What's going to happen in 17 days? The Steelers go to New England. Stephon Gilmore. will see exactly what Juju Smith-Schuster has said. So what are they going to do? They're going to take away his ability to run the routes that he is comfortable running. And they're going to force him to do the things that he's working on because they know he's got less confidence in that. He'd prefer not to do that. They're going to force him to prove that he can. And that may be one of the ways that you slow down a Juju Smith-Schuster in week one of his experiment as the number one receiver in Pittsburgh. Uh, yes, definitely. And I would hope Pittsburgh would know enough to go, hey, this is not exactly the A-plus part of his game. And move him around. Let him work the middle of the field. Let him catch shallow crossers and, you know, d deep crossers across the middle, in cuts like that. That's really where he is awesome. But still, I think there's enough talent there ultimately to scare people away on that go route to where it'll be effective enough to where it helps out the rest of the game, the rest of the, his game and, and the offense in general. All right, we spend so much time talking about the guys who aren't playing in the preseason, specifically the quarterbacks. It is a little refreshing, even though the preseason is meaningless, to hear from a guy like one of our favorites, Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson, when asked how much he would like to play on Saturday against the Cowboys in week three of the preseason. He said the whole game, really, if I had to, I just love to play football. Anytime I get to play, especially in the NFL, the best athletes in the world, an opportunity to get on the field on a national stage is a blessing, a great opportunity for anybody. Now, maybe it's just because he's only in his third year, and maybe 10 years from now he's going to be like Aaron Rodgers and say, I don't want to have anything to do right. with preseason football. I just like to hear that, and I like to feel that from a guy who just loves the sport, and he's not jaded yet, and he, he has that – that passion for it. And he, you know, you put the uniform on, you put the ball in your hands. Football is football, regardless of what the stakes are. So I kind of like it. I don't think it's the smartest sentiment and you don't want to see the guy get injured, but I like the idea that he's ready to play the whole game. I do. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, that's why I think we love Deshaun Watson. You could see his love for the game, his competitive nature, how cool and calm he is in clutch situations, whether it was at Clemson or Houston. Yeah. I mean, he's talented and you know, to echo his sentiment, I was similar as a player, and I'm certainly not trying to say I'm anything as good as Deshaun Watson, but I did like the preseason, I, you know, especially when I was getting close to being a starter or being the starter. I felt like, you know, it was a good way to get some, like, bullpen sessions like in baseball you know without you know necessarily having to face off against Aaron Judge and everybody like that oh I get to get out there run some of the basics of our offense their defense is kind of basic they don't have all their stars out there and it can give you confidence going into the regular season to go okay I've been out here I've had a little success already and I can build on that and I'm really confident going to week one because I've been throwing lasers in the preseason and you can fool yourself and be like hey, you know who cares that it was a against the second team or whatever. I was good. I felt good. And uh, I think I do think there's something to that. Um, let's shift over to the Arizona Cardinals. We still don't know what that offense is going to look like, although if you pay attention to college football and Texas Tech, the air raid offense, the, the ultimate version of that loose college, drawed up in the dirt, will it work at the NFL level? And LaMarcus Joyner, the Raiders' safety, said after the game when the Raiders played the Cardinals week two of the preseason, he described – the offense as a pretty boy offense. 
and uh, or Pretty Boy football, and some Cardinals players took exception to it. Justin Pugh joked about it. He said, yeah, we got some good-looking guys. What do you want from us? But uh, <laughs> is, is it like a lesser brand of offense? Should should old-school, hardcore football people look down their nose at this kind of an offense that the Cardinals plan to run, Chris? I think it's fair to question it and whether it can be successful. I mean, we haven't really seen that many college teams really win and go to national championships winning that way, right? I mean, we really haven't. When you talk about Alabama, okay, Clemson might be about as close as we've seen to that, but Clemson doesn't, like, abandon the run game. I think there's a lot of questions about how this offense will translate to the NFL, certainly for me. You know, I know they're going to be able to get you know some cheap yards in the pass game and do all those things but is there enough inventory in that offense when it becomes week three and week four and so on where teams are starting to go ooh, there's tendencies here and when they get in this formation they like to do this and when they're in that formation they do that that's where I really worry about it added to the fact of I still think you got to get underneath the center a little bit, Mike, in the NFL and come downhill and run the football that way. And I think that's what LaMarcus Joyner's looking at. He's going, this is Big 12 football. This is seven on seven. This is why we talk about Big 12 being crappy at defense and everything else. And there's no physical nature about the offense. And I hope that Cliff Kingsbury can unleash some of that and get some downhill run game with David Johnson because I think he thrives in that environment. I also think it'll help Kyler Murray, Mike. If you can run downhill, the bootlegs, the play actions, getting him separated from the line of scrimmage to where he can see the field better, a lot like we've seen from Russell Wilson, I think that will be a very good tool for that offense to have. It's a very subtle point because you can have a running game out of the shotgun, but the difference is if you've got an eye formation and you get the snap instantaneously and you turn, the, the running back has a head of steam when he gets the ball and hits the hole exactly. and it can develop more quickly. The play develops so much more slowly when you run out of shotgun because first you got to get the snap and then you got to turn and your back is standing still when he gets the ball. Exactly. He isn't already running. And, and going horizontal know, to a degree. Yeah, and, 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 you know, again, if you've got a great offensive line, it won't matter. But there's something to be said for hitting the hole quickly and busting through it to the second level. It's harder to do when you're running the ball out of shotgun. And also, it's just the variety, Chris. The thing that, that, that I, I always say, the more you can make the defense guess. That's is right. Is it a run? Mike. Is it a pass? And the longer you can delay that process. So I, that's why the RPO works so well. Yeah. You, you force the defense to continue guessing after the snap, and then you wait for them to commit, and you burn them the other way. And and that's that that offense lacks it. And and uh, you're right. After four or five weeks, and they see what they do, and they break down the film, and they come up with ways to confuse Kyler Murray. And and the th and look, I, I people people say, oh, Kyler Murray was joking when he said to Antonio Brown, why they got to bring the house on me, bro? I don't. I think he was a little irritated. I think he was a little frustrated. And this is a guy who has not encountered much adversity while playing football. It's always come easy to him. I want to see how does Kyler Murray deal with a three-game losing streak? Right. How does he deal with a final stat line of five for 23 with two interceptions and 87 yards if that happens? How does, how does he react to that? It's not going to be like it was in college and high school. And, and you know, maybe that gives him the determination to play even better, to, to fit the ball through tighter windows, to, to be a better quarterback, to be more dialed in. He needs to be. Right. He needs to do what Deshaun Watson did. Right. Deshaun Watson, you know, hey, in college, the window's that big, and sometimes he was outside of it. 
in the NFL, the window's this big, and he threads the needle. That's right. As needed. And and will Kyler Murray step up to that? He's got the arm. Yes. The ball's got the pop, but it's so much more than that. Yes, it is. And and you made all the right points about the eye formation. And and again, I I you know, I challenge people to listen to this aspect too. A lot of these defensive players coming to the NFL are more comfortable seeing this type of Arizona offense because that's what they're seeing in college rather than seeing, oh, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, Josh McDaniels, Kyle Shanahan. Whoa, I formation, guards are pulling. Holy cow, what do I do? Think about if you're a linebacker playing that type of offense. Oh, there's Todd Gurley. I got to get to him. Oh, there's Todd Gurley. I got to get to him. Oh, there's Todd Gurley. I got to get to him. Oh, wait, Jared Goff has the ball. Oh, man, Robert Woods is behind me now, and it's a 20-yard completion. It's the best way to create explosive plays. And I think that's why you've seen teams like the Patriots, the Rams, the Saints go that route here as of late because, one, they've recognized college football players are not used to seeing this style of football right now. This is actually different. Even though it's old school that you got guys like you and me, this is actually different for the new school guys. And a lot of young defensive coaches don't even know how to defend it. Defensive players don't know how to defend it. And it's a great way to get explosive pass plays in the passing game. That's really the best part about it. One last point before we move on. A wise man once told me that anytime a player says something that is controversial about an opponent or has some nickname like Pretty Boy Football, chances are they didn't come up with it. Chances are they heard it in a meeting room from a coach, from either their head coach yeah. or their coordinator, right. or so, that, that this is something that the Raiders were saying about the Cardinals. Just because LaMarcus Joyner is the one who said it, yeah. there's a disdain among the Raiders coaching staff, Chris, and it possibly goes all the way up to Chucky himself calling it pretty boy football. But, uh, you know, that, that may have been fair. something that right. ended up on the cutting room floor for hard knocks. Right. But there's a chance that that's where it came from. I think you're um, – I would I would bet if you made me bet if it came from that or LaMarcus Joyner made it up himself, I would imagine that either in the secondary room or the defensive full meeting room that that came up during the week. You're right about that. All right, something that came up during the program in the airing of grievances. We didn't have much time to talk about it, though. The Stephen Jones comments from Wednesday about agents, and he didn't single any agents out. But the Cowboys COO, in talking generally about agents, said, I have a lot of respect for most agents. I really do. I think they're trying to do their job for these players, but I do think sometimes they don't have the end game that maybe the players should and we do. I think sometimes our players have to realize their representatives don't always have what's in the best interest. Getting the very most they can for the players may not be in the interest of their long-term future. If they want to, and I'm totally con convinced all our players do, want to win championships and keep these young players right now. I don't think the representatives, and they're all good ones, feel like that's their problem. Look, I understand that agents are primarily focused on maximizing the recovery for the player because that maximizes the recovery for themselves. But do not tell me that the team has the player's long-term best interests at heart. They do not. By definition, they do not. The team worries about what? The team. What did Jerry Jones say Tuesday? The team takes precedence, not the player, 
the team. So the player doesn't care about the long-term best interest of the player. And think about this, Chris. Right now, the Cowboys have 90 guys on the roster. Right. 37 of them are going to be said, right. see you later. We love you. Thanks for everything you did. Now get the hell out of here. They're not laying the foundation for these guys' long-term futures. They want what's best for the team. What's best for the team is getting these guys to take less. And if you can undermine their relationship with their agents to get them to take less, you're acting in the best interest of the team. That's what this is all coming from, guys. So don't fall for it. They are trying to help themselves. They're not trying to help you. They help themselves by convincing you that your agents aren't helping you. I don't think the Jones family became the Jones family by the approach of, uh, we won't try to get the most we can get. I, I don't think so. I just have a feeling oil tycoons, what they do with the Cowboys, it always seems like they're trying to get the most they can get out of everything. So I don't like that hypocritical stance, let alone – there's no such thing as long-term future in the NFL, and it doesn't exist at the running back position. So, you know, again, you can cry me a river with all that crap talk. That's just not true. I just – I can't stand – you know I'm on the player side, and I'm especially on Ezekiel Elliott's side with this one. And, oh, yeah, long-term future. Until what? He comes out there and sacrifices his body again and then tears an ACL and an MCL, and then there is no long-term future? The, it's now. The future is now. And that's what Ezekiel Elliott's trying to do. And uh, I'm, I'm rooting for Ezekiel Elliott, as you know, and I think you are too. Hey, I said yesterday, if Jerry Jones was the agent of any of the three guys on offense they're trying to pay, he would be on top of a table screaming that these guys are worth every penny. And these are the guys who are the ones who put on the uniform, cross the white line, and put their bodies at risk on every given day. And you know as well as anyone, you can't, I mean, if, hey, yeah, you can break your leg. You also could die on the field as you almost did. And that's not anything to joke about, and I'm not joking about it. The point is this. The players are the ones taking the risks with their futures. They're taking the risks with their lives. They're the ones who have the skills and abilities. And the idea that they should do anything other than try to get the most they can for those skills and abilities is wrong. And I understand why the Cowboys are trying to do it, because they've got this great team now they're trying to hold together right. so they can win championships and build their own legacy. And, and uh, yeah, it's got me pissed off. I get and I love And I love what the Joneses do for football, but let's not get the roles twisted right and whether it's a guy who's representing himself whether it's a guy who hires a lawyer to help him out on an hourly rate whether it's an agent who takes a percentage you are in control of the player's interest and the team never is and don't let anyone ever tell you that the team is acting in the best interest of the players they are always and only acting in the best interest of themselves and that's the way it's supposed to be yep a hundred percent and 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 you know too i know I'm not on the Jones family side with this conversation, but you, you did say that they've done a lot of great things from the sport, and I do respect that. But, you know, again, this is just, uh, I don't know, bargaining talk, whatever it is. They're trying to lower the price. They're trying it to smear campaign. Line. It crosses yes. a line. They've crossed the line it, twice this week, yeah. in my opinion, yes. Yeah. It crosses a line by, by questioning or by trying to force the players to question whether the people hired to look out for their best interests are really looking out for their best interests. And, and look, there, there are some conflicting motivations that come into play. I, agents have said, I don't get 3% of the Super Bowl ring. I don't care if my guy wins a championship. But the team is, I mean, this is a Hansel and Gretel thing. They are luring you into the house with candy, folks. That's what they're trying to do. You're right. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I got no more and, to and say. Again, and again, the Joneses are great for football, and they've done fabulous things in 30 years of ownership of the Cowboys, and they have advanced the sport. 
but they are never acting in the best interest of the players. They're acting in the best interest of themselves, of the league, of their business, of the Cowboys. That's it. We got to act in the best interest of PFTOT and end it for now. We'll be back tomorrow. Chris is going to have his top button unbuttoned because Aaron Rodgers is playing tonight. If he does, I got to go. I, I'm telling you, I know exactly where it is. Denim jacket from the 80s. I hope to God it fits. Uh, I got to go find a bolo it. tie. I got to find a bolo tie and sunglasses, but uh, could be an interesting day tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. See everybody on Friday. See ya.